Good morning. We have two separate scripture passages this morning. The first one is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. So please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then the next scripture is Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. You have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from what the one who wants to borrow from you. The word of the Lord. Hmm. Thank you, Dean. <clears throat> I'm, have you ever seen those uh, bulletin bloopers? You know. Okay. Well, I remember seeing one that said something about you know the pastor was gone on vacation and somebody else filled the pulpit and they heard good uh, finally heard a good sermon. I think I don't think it was supposed the word finally was supposed to be in there but so come the next couple of weeks I won't be in the pulpit but you'll hear some good sermons all right Am I I bit off more than I could chew on this one So you're only we're only going to hear uh I'll only be referring to the the passage from Colossians this morning You'll get part two in about a month because uh, I'm not going to be here for two weeks and then Rick, Rick Santana will be here, our District Hispanic Ministries Coordinator on October 14th and then I'll be back in the pulpit on the, the 21st. So you'll hear part two on the 21st of October. And then Dean or, or, or Gail, you'll get to read both these passages of Scripture again, all right? You know, it seems to me that one of the most harmful things to the reputation of Christians, the church, and the cause of Christ is related to our failure to extend grace to one another. Disagreements over things like the color of the carpet or our taste in music or whose name got left out of the recognition list or... How come they always get chosen to do fill-in-the-blank and I don't? Or so-and-so said such-and-such about me, or my child, or my ministry, or, or, or. 
And the perpetrator did not seem gracious when they said what they said or did what they did, and we are not gracious in response. And what should have been a thing that was dealt with graciously and a desire to understand and reconcile instead becomes this thing that grows to the point where it's like a brawl that spills out into the street. And we've seen that happen in churches sometimes, haven't we? Our lack of grace can make us good at shooting ourselves in the foot, so to speak. And it hurts us in the eyes of the world. So what do we do when a fellow Christian disappoints us or fails us or hurts us? See, at some point in our lives, a pastor, a parent, a grandparent, a brother or sister in Christ, a friend, someone from the church has or will disappoint us. It's going to happen if it hasn't already You know, they didn't live up to our expectations. They offended us. They made a mistake. Or perhaps, maybe worst of all in our minds, they fell from grace and sinned. What do we do with that? Do we just part ways? Do we put up those invisible emotional walls that block this person out? You know what I'm talking about. We start distancing ourselves from this person emotionally and if possible physically. Take talking with them less and less. Avoiding them. Or do do we let them back in? Where do we draw the line? I found this article that was written by a pastor who had a hard-working, tithing couple in his congregation who came to, to him one day, and as he writes, with folded arms and wrinkled foreheads, made it clear that if we continued to let a certain young lady come to church, they would leave, along with their money, of course. This young lady had hurt their daughter as well as others in the church, including the pastor's daughter. But the pastor was reminded of the words of Jesus about forgiving someone 70 times 7 if they repented and asked for forgiveness. And he reminded the couple that this young girl appeared to have genuinely repented and demonstrated sorrow for what she had done. So no, he wouldn't tell her to leave. And the couple left the church hardened, angry, unwilling to offer grace. Yet the young lady, he says, is still walking with Jesus because the church had offered her grace. And the question he asks is, do our actions demonstrate we are persons of grace within the church? You know, wouldn't it be nice if nothing ever happened in the church that required grace? I mean, that we were just so nice and loving to each other all the time that we would just never have to extend grace to anybody. Yeah. If you find that perfect church, let me know. You know, no one was ever offended. We never hurt each other. We never had differences of opinion that caused anger and division. But unfortunately, those things do happen in the church family. And if we do not extend grace in those situations, the consequences can be harmful to the body of Christ. 
So, uh, someone wrote this. I don't know how it is in other parts of the world, but it seems like this is the American way. Two cars, two kids, a dog, and half a dozen churches that we have attended. He says, this isn't necessarily bad. There are times when God would have us move on, take our gifts, abilities, resources, and energy, and use them to serve another body of believers. And I think there are times, genuine times, times that, I mean, the reasons are right when we should separate, separate ourselves from one body and maybe join another. But then he goes on to say, but too often selfishness, pride, unforgiveness, a mentality that church exists to meet my, my needs prevails and we become disgruntled. We divide and there is disunity for the wrong reasons. Disunity grieves the heart of God and brings dishonor to His name. I read about a church where there was division and it began over an argument at a potluck supper when a lady brought a congealed salad she made with Cool Whip instead of real whipping cream. What? <laughs> we laugh, don't we? Because it seems so silly and yet this church was divided over that. Churches are divided over whether the pianist should sit on the right or left side of the podium. Over whether the Lord's Supper should be served from the front to the back or the back to the front. Over trying to decide whether a kitchen should be part of the church building or not. We've made that decision already, haven't we? One church split over who was the real pastor. They had two pastors. Two groups thought that each had their own guy. And both of them got up to lead a service one Sunday. I can see trouble here already, yeah. <laughs> both led the singing. Both groups tried to out-sing each other. Then both pastors started preaching, trying to out-preach the other. Finally, they just broke out into fisticuffs. And the police had to come in and break it up. Wow. That's a great testimony to the community. So we need grace for the family. This is what I'm talking about. Grace within the body of Christ for each other. And let me... Um, in addition to the Colossians passage that was read this morning, I want to share with you a passage from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. And it says this, When you talk, do not say harmful things, but say what people need, words that will help others become stronger. Then what you say will do good to those who listen to you. It's good advice. And do not make the Holy Spirit sad. The Spirit is God's proof that you belong to Him. God gave you the Spirit to show that God will make you free when the final day comes. Do not be bitter or angry or mad. Never shout angrily or say things that hurt others. Never do anything evil. Be kind and loving to each other and forgive each other just as God forgave you in Christ. Ephesians, Paul was writing to a church 
Colossians, Paul was writing to the church. Right? So, when that hurtful or embarrassing or disappointing thing happens in the church, how do we respond? Well, we respond with grace. And grace responds with kindness and patience. Grace responds with kindness and patience. The Greek word for kindness that is used in this passage from Colossians that was read to us this morning, the Greek word for kindness was used to describe wine which had grown mellow with age and had lost its harshness. That should describe believers who have walked for any time with Jesus. We should have grown mellow and lost our harshness. See, the kind person is concerned about the good of the family members as they are concerned about their own welfare. We're as concerned about the good of the family members as we are about our own welfare. It says God is kind even to ungrateful and evil people. That's Luke 6.35. In fact, it was His kindness that led us, the Scripture says, to repentance. God's kindness led us to repentance. So think about what happens then if we are kind to one another. That will take us to a better place than if we were harsh with one another, right? And then we're patient. The word patient carries the idea of being long-suffering or long-tempered, that you're not hot-headed, that you're not easily provoked. You can give people a little grace when you're patient because you realize that God has been patient with you. God has graced you. I don't know how... I thank God for His patience with me all the time because I'm sure it takes quite a bit. And we need to be patient with others, are we? You know, in, in Colossians it says, bear with each other. And the word that's used in some... Translations is the word forbearance. And the idea of forbearance is to be patient specifically with the shortcomings of others. Now, that's hard to do when you have no shortcomings yourself. I realize that. (laughs) The idea of forbearance is to be patient specifically with the shortcomings of others. So, how do you forbear with others? It helps to remember how much God has put up with with you and your shortcomings. Amen? So grace responds with kindness and patience. And then grace confronts, because there are times when we need to do that, grace confronts with humility and gentleness. Someone has said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Did you get that? It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It is a spiritual modesty. When it is time to confront, the last thing we should do is approach the situation with a sense of spiritual superiority. If the other party receives the message that, well, I've got it all together, or I would never do anything like that, or it's clear to me that I'm right and you're wrong, 
then any effort to reconcile will fall flat. Humility says, I mess up sometimes too. I don't have to have it my way. Some things are not worth fighting over. I'm not always right. And yes, others sometimes do have a better idea. As a humble person can submit their rights for the benefit of others. See, humility enables kindness for it allows us to accept people as they are. Humility comes from experiencing the greatness of God and realizing that we become who we need to be only by His grace. Humility and gentleness. We, com- we, we confront with humility and gentleness. The, the word gentle is a hard word to translate from the original language. Sometimes it's translated meek. It's used of a wild horse that had been tamed. It speaks of power under control. We could get mad. We could choose to fight for our rights, but like a horse that has been tamed, we choose to control our anger and temper. We choose to be gentle. Meek. Gentle is the opposite of rough and ungracious. It's closely related to humility. It is not weakness, but rather the willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. It's strength under control. The word is sometimes used to describe a soothing wind, a healing medicine, and a cult that had been broken. In each instance, there's a power. Wind can become a storm. Too much medicine can kill. A horse can break loose. But meekness or gentleness is power under control. We become meek or gentle when we place ourselves in our situation under God's will. When we do what we do without a need to control others. Ray Steadman said, It is real strength, but it does not have to display itself or show off how strong it is. The gentle person knows He or she is an imperfect person among other imperfect people and is willing to suffer the abuse others may impose on him or her. So grace confronts with humility and gentleness. And then grace extends compassion and forgiveness. Compassion speaks of feelings that come from deep inside. Um, the scriptural word actually refers to the gut. It just comes from deep, from, it comes from deep within us. We might say, I care deeply or I care so much it hurts. That's compassion speaking. And because we are compassionate, we seek to understand the other situation and point of view and we'll go the extra mile to prevent disunity, distance, or a broken relationship. That's compassion. Because we, we, we made an effort to understand your situation. 
we care deeply enough to do that. And part of going the extra mile is that willingness to forgive. And by the way, extending forgiveness is not an option. It's not optional. Not in God's economy, it's not. But, but pastor, you don't know what they did. You don't know how badly I was hurt. And, and, and so people say, well, I can't or I never could forgive them. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness is not optional. And by the way, um, well, I'm going to talk about two points of view, two, two kind of different aspects of, of a failure or unforgiveness, failure to forgive or unforgiveness. First of all, unforgiveness can be about hostage holding. We may withhold forgiveness in an effort to hold others hostage, or we may be held hostage by our failure to forgive others. You tracking with me here? So, what about holding others hostage? Well, there's there's been some sort of offense, um, and um, they know it and we know it, but we will not forgive that person, even though they might be seeking forgiveness from it from us. We want them to pay. We want them to suffer. We want them to be sorry for what they did. So we refuse to forgive. We keep them at a distance. We seek to remind them through our unforgiveness of that hurtful or offensive thing they did to us, to me. So we try to hold people hostage by unforgiveness. Or the other side of that is we hold ourselves hostage when we don't forgive. We keep ourselves bound to that incident, whatever it was, that thing that was said or done. And we rehearse it and we feed it and it grows. And it eats us up. And very often the person that did that thing to us is not even aware and totally unaffected by our unforgiveness. We're the ones who are living in misery. And in this case, forgiveness is about us about what will do for us. Because that other person, they don't even know. They may not even care. And either way, whether it's holding someone else hostage or being held hostage ourselves, it does harm to Christians and harm to the church if there's not forgiveness. Have any of you ever read a book by um, a man named John Bevere called The Bait of Satan? No. Um, the bait of Satan, he says, is offense. Is that right? There's offense, like in a football team, and there's offense that's been, we've committed against somebody else or 
they committed against us. You know what I'm talking about? We've been offended. We've been hurt. We've been disappointed. We feel like we've been walked on, whatever it may be. He says that is the bait of Satan. Because so often we do not handle offense in the way God intended us to. You know what I'm talking about? And listen, the bait of Satan offense only works if there is not forgiveness. If we're willing to forgive, if we're willing to extend and receive forgiveness, guess what? Offense doesn't work. That weapon that he seeks to use against us or that bait that he throws out doesn't work if we're willing to extend grace and forgive one another. Make sense? And so often, it's something that does work. Unfortunately, to our discredit, is something that does work. That bait sucks us in, even in the body of Christ. So, <coughs> excuse me. So, grace is willing to show compassion and extend forgiveness. It is good for you, and it's good for the family. And finally, we extend grace because of our love for one another. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love, it says, covers over a multitude of sins. Love can allow us to put up with a lot. Right? But here's something that we may have to deal with as we seek to love one another. When confronting situations with others in the church, the issue may not always be resolved to our satisfaction. You know what? In that case, we may have to get over it and get on with life. We can't get stuck in that place, can we? We may have to get over and get on with life. That's where God's grace to us helps us. He extends grace to us so we can do this. Listen, folks, if we love one another as members of the body of Christ, then with God's grace at work in us and His love flowing through us, we should be able to move on from these kinds of things even if they're not resolved to our satisfaction. Easy? Probably not. But we have the help we need in the person of the Holy Spirit to get beyond it, whatever it is, and still worship together and serve together and love each other. And that's pretty important. Because Jesus said our love for one another is proof that we are His disciples. And, you know, a lot of people out there who don't know Jesus and really don't know what Christianity is about still have a pretty good idea of what, they should, what a Christian should look like and live like. may not always be accurate, but I'm telling you, when we fight with one another in the church and failure, fail to extend grace to each other and forgive each other, um, they, they see that. Hey, 
I can put it that I, I can deal with that out here where I live. I don't have to go to church to have to deal with that kind of stuff. You see what it does? It puts people off. It damages the reputation of Christ and his church and his church, and we do not want to go there. So what might be the result if we extend grace and encouragement to those believers who have disappointed us through hurt, betrayal, or failure? What, what might be the result of that? Think there might be healing that could take place if that happened? Reconciliation? Redemption? What might God do in their life through our act of grace? Is there a Christian whom God has brought to your mind that you have written off? Or put barriers up to that person? Or thought about parting ways with? Might God be inviting you to be this person's avenue, or excuse me, to be His avenue of grace to that person? Might God be inviting you to be His avenue of grace to that person? Let's take some time to pray. Bow your heads with me, would you? Father, the Apostle Paul tells us that you have lavished your grace on us. And I think just like your blessings, your blessings aren't just for us alone. Your blessings are something that you give us so that we can bless others. And I think the grace that you lavish on us is like that. It's not just for our benefit, although we benefit greatly from it, but grace is something that you want us to extend to pass on to others. And that applies right within the walls of the church, right within the body of Christ, right within our own congregation. And we've not always done that, we confess. And so, Father, if... There is someone you have brought to mind today. Someone that, I don't want to be around them. I don't want to talk to them. They're fellow believer. But we've distanced ourselves. We've found it difficult or not even tried to extend grace to that person. Lord God, as you bring that individual, maybe more than one, to mind, I pray that there would be now in our own hearts as you speak to us a determination to change course. A determination to extend grace freely to that individual just as you have extended grace freely to me, to us. Not easy. Sometimes the depth of the wound, the hurt, goes pretty deep. But Lord God, we want to be a healthy body. We want to be people who love and grace each other Because that is indicative that we are followers of Jesus and we want people to know within the walls of the church and outside the walls of the church, that's that's who we are. We're followers of Jesus.
So I pray today that where grace may not have flowed through us to someone else, it now will flow to us, to that someone else, whoever they may be. And that it will be healing. It will be redemptive. And Father, we as individuals and as a church body will be better representatives of Jesus and what he can do in a person's life than ever before. May that be our commitment. And Father, I ask these things today in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Thanks for being in church today. Thanks for your attention. Grace and peace, you are dismissed this morning.